This is Jordan Bennington, and you're listening to the Blues Fan Forum Podcast. and welcome to episode 57 of the Blues Fan Forum Podcast, your source for blues news, views, and fan interviews. I'm your host, Jacob Steeb. Joining me this week is some random guy off Facebook, <laughs> Reed Lowe. Reed, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. I am <clears throat> I am that, a random guy on Facebook. <laughs> random guy off Facebook. So I bring up random guy on Facebook because I have to probably tell the most embarrassing story of the Blues Fan Forum podcast history right now. And the fact that if you're listening to this podcast and Reed Lowe sounds like a familiar name, then it probably should be. Because I was preparing for this podcast and it's, let's see, 6.07 on Monday night. So at like 6 o'clock, I was writing stuff down, checking Facebook, and I found out that Reed Lowe is actually a former NHL bruiser like player for the St. Louis Blues. So <laughs> pretty embarrassing to host your own podcast and not realize that you have a former four-year St. Louis Blue player on the roster or on, on the podcast. So I think it's entertaining. Um, it's funny. There's a lot of people that recognize and uh, there's some that don't. So uh, no hard feelings on this side. But you know, I figured with the little expert title they give me beside my name that that might have given it away, but maybe not. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how much of an expert I am. I guess we're going to find out after we get done here. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, again, Reed, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I typically go through right now and I say that this is the Blues Fan Forum podcast and you have to go ahead and show that you're a fan. And I asked my fan, my guess what they do for a day job so why don't you go ahead and share your uh read low 34 yeah sure so um my main gig is i have a, a wine and spirits company called power play beverage so i sell wine and spirits to the state of missouri um I have, a, I have a guy in kansas city I have five sales reps in st louis and a warehouse manager ops manager and a couple delivery guys and myself and we just get out there knock on doors build relationships and try and sell wine and spirits to the, to the people around town and then i also uh have uh read low 34 events and uh basically do a bunch of charity work inside of those um kind of as a branding tool um and that's obviously what you were seeing on facebook my read low 34 page um mm-hmm. So yeah, that's uh, uh, those are the two things I do. You know, obviously I have four kids. Um, coached hockey most of my life here in the Greater St. Louis area, and spend a lot of time helping out the Warrior Blues program. I spent a couple of years helping out the Junior Blues program. So giving back and uh, having some fun, and and you know, hopefully helping some people um, that love the game of hockey as much as I do. Um, kind of how to have fun in it, and making sure that I make sure these parents don't get too serious with their young kids. <laughs> realize that we're trying to raise good adults not great hockey players right <laughs> I, yeah. I i feel that i'm a i do a lot of the same that you're doing with hockey through soccer uh except not at you know the level that you do but i've coached a lot of youth and referee a lot so even having to mentor young referees or helping you know my i teach or i coach the high school boys team here in town for soccer so you know making sure that hey 
this is a, a JV soccer game. Like your son's not going to the MLS. <laughs> yep. Not lottery tickets, they're children. <laughs> yeah. All <laughs> right. Awesome. Well, before we get into regular, you know, our, our blues kind of information here, uh, let's talk a little bit about you. So your big thing was fighting, correct? Yeah, I'd say uh, I think I had close to or a little more than 90 fights in 256 games. Okay, so yeah, that's I what out, I was going to ask. Did you know your penalty good. minutes then? I uh, got a bunch of penalty minutes. I, I'm actually the only player in NHL history to have two 50-plus penalty minute games in a career. 50-plus penalty minute games. How is that possible? So you get, <laughs> you, when you start line brawls, they hand out a lot of penalty minutes to you. So I got three game misconducts, a 10-minute misconduct. The one game I had three fighting majors, a 10-minute misconduct for instigating, and uh, two minutes for instigating. It came to 57 penalty minutes. I fought Craig Berube that night. <laughs> nice that is awesome okay and does does having 57 penalty minutes in one game change anything besides the fact that you are kicked out of the game um no other than the fact that people on the other team know that i might have a few screws loose so maybe they might pay a little less more attention to not uh taking liberties of my teammates i also had 53 in detroit one night i had 11 penalties in one shift that's crazy. And you said you're the only person in NHL history that's that to do it twice. Have some people done it once? Yep. So there's okay. uh, the record is uh, 67 minutes. Then I'm at 57 minutes. I think then there's a guy at 56, 55. And then I'm at 53 with another guy. I think there's like a 51 after that. So I think there's about eight or nine of us. Okay. And I'm going to guess, but I'm going to assume that none of those are – recent like none of those players no. are are no, recent no, no. I, I i would say i was the last one to do something like that okay that's i would say that sounds pretty accurate <laughs> yeah most of those were 70s 80s and 90s uh-huh awesome all right uh i had this down to kind of talk about later and we talked about this earlier but wanted to get this out there so i saw online earlier that the Bloomington, Illinois is going to have a new ECHL team, uh, East Coast Hockey League, for those of you listening at home. Uh, And they're going to be the Bloomington Bison. They're going to start in the 24-25 season. Uh, The Blues right now are without a ECHL team. So we got Springfield, Massachusetts for the AHL, but our kind of double-A team for the people who follow baseball more, we don't have a, a location for that. So... One or two questions here for you, Reed. One, do you think Bloomington becomes the Blues ECHL affiliate? And two, what was your time like in the ECHL? I spent time in the American Hockey League, the East Coast League, and obviously the NHL as well. I was only there for half a season. My first season, I spent 39 games in a Baton Rouge, Louisiana with the Baton Rouge Kingfish. Um, it was good. I, I wasn't... I come out. I was a late bloomer. I come out of junior hockey as an overage twenty-year-old, and I wasn't. We were we, at the time, and we were in Worcester, Massachusetts, the Worcester Ice Cats in nineteen ninety-seven, ninety-eight, my rookie season in pro hockey, and we were sharing a farm club with Ottawa Senators. So there was so many guys in the team, and I wasn't getting any ice time. And if I if I was even in the lineup I, when I wasn't in the stands, um, and I just went into the coach and I said, you know, I know that you typically don't get this, but you know. Can I go down and play in the East Coast League to where I until you guys get this situation all filtered out and 
I can at least be improving my game. And he's like, yeah, sure. So they sent me down there the first time and I got like three points in, in two games and uh, they were like, okay, well, maybe he's better. So they brought me back up. Everything <laughs> was happening. So I just went in his office again, and I was like, again, I just want to play hockey. And if the spot's not here, I get it. But um, I still want to play. So they sent me back down, and I spent, like, the next three months there, played 39 games there. It was awesome. Uh, the East Coast League's a different w- lifestyle today than it was then. It was filled with a bunch of tough guys, and they were starting to kind of clean it up. They only were allowed to dress three full lines and one extra player um, just to try and deter teams from having three and four tough guys on a team and just making it an absolute gong show. Um, but it's a heck of a development league. There's a lot of guys that play in that league on their way to the NHL. Um, there's a lot of guys that had extra career uh, opportunity to play hockey that probably wouldn't have if East Coast League wasn't there. So, uh, big fan of East Coast League and, and what it does for players to be able to have a place to go develop themselves so they can hopefully uh, make the next level. And like I said, there's a bunch of guys that played in the East Coast League that made the National Hockey League. Mm-hmm. I was reading on the East Coast League just trying to figure out kind of their rules. And I guess now they only allow four veteran players yes. on their team. Everyone else, I guess, has to be... I have to be under a certain game, like after less than 250 games or something. And the reason why they do that is they want it to be a true, authentic, uh, developmental league for younger players. Um, So never used to be like that. But there's a bunch of other little low-level leagues like that that if guys want to play hockey afterwards, they can go play hockey in. Mm Mm-hmm. And another one of those low-level leagues was I was going to bring up the Peoria Rivermen. So I think you had a season or two. One, one there, season. Yeah, I played 20 games in 05-06, the year after the lockout. I broke my jaw coming out of training camp. So I spent the first four and a half months in the injured list. And then at the end of the when I came back, um, you know, the Blues were already terrible and had another had other tough guys there. And I hadn't played hockey in a year and a half, so we they chose to send me to uh, to Peoria just to get some ice time after that. And then... I had a cup of coffee with the Blackhawks and finished my 06-07 year out in Norfolk, Virginia. All right. So the Peoria right now is playing in like the Southern Hockey League yeah, or something like that, I think. It's a Southern Professional League. Southern Professionals. Yeah, Yeah. I've looked it up because it sucks having, you know, your RAHL team so far away. Like we don't have that ability to go see some of our prospects play like i would love for them to be back in peoria or i don't know somewhere else around here uh it's a lot about the revenue generation and unfortunately they had them there on a couple different stints um you know kelly chase and tony twist have their jerseys retired there from 1989 so um you know it's a it's a i agree with you It'd be nice to have them close, but I'd be interested in finding out how many people from St. Louis actually took the three-hour drive on a weekend and and stayed the night and spent the money to go there, right? Like, it's a Mm -hmm. nice spot, but I don't think it comes to fruition as much as we'd like it to. Right. Well, I know my uh, buddies, a couple friends that I've had on the podcast before, uh, older guys, because they made the trip up a couple times, and they would go to a game, and then they'd go to a bar, and then after that, like, players would come to the bar and they just get to like hang out with them so i'm like that's kind of a cool aspect really so we listen win or lose we hit the booze oh i bet (laughs) (laughs) just listening to i spitting chiclets is kind of what got me started on this i was like i listen to them all the time and i'm like podcasting sounds so fun like i want to 
just sit around and talk hockey kind of thing. And they're, uh, Biz and Ryan Whitney are always talking about how much alcohol they drank when they played, before they played, after they played. <laughs> Ridiculous how much uh, uh, we would have some fun. Uh, but it was our time to cool off, and uh, we trained so hard and traveled so much and played so much. It was uh, it was nice to be able to sit down with the boys and have a couple man sodas and uh, rehash the game and, and chit-chat. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's talk blues of right now. So I typically recover kind of the, the games that have gone on since my last episode. Uh, we recorded my last episode on Monday, so I got Tuesday's game against Calgary, Wednesday's game against Vancouver, Thursday's game against Seattle, and then Sunday's game against L.A. And the very short way to recap all of those is we won 4-3. to three. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's crazy that that every single game we won four to three. Um, how often do you get to watch games? Do you get to watch quite a bit? I or? get to watch them quite a bit. I do some radio stuff around town, so if I don't get to watch the game, I'm usually watching the highlights the next day and at least keeping up on what's going on and, and who's doing what. So um, not as much like I'm not Mister Diehard that you know is uh, is recording the games and watching them after the game if I can't make it, but. Um, I try, I try to, I try to keep a pulse. Let's keep it like that. Yep. All right. Well, Tuesday, the 23rd, we play at Calgary again, win four to three Saad, Shen, Cairo, and then Saad again, get our goals. Bennington stops 32 or 35. Uh, I don't even know. That seems like so long ago <laughs> that, that I, I'm trying to remember that game and how it went. I might not even watch that game to be honest. Uh, but kind of just looking through all of these games and looking at the goal scores uh, and looking at the goaltending, it seems like our goal scoring isn't top heavy anymore. Like it used to be Buchnevich, Thomas Kyrou. Those were kind of the only guys that are scoring. And in these victories now, we're getting, like I said, Shen and Saad with two on Tuesday. Uh, neighbors, Toropchenko and Shen with goals on Wednesday. Thursday's game, Sonny, and then the top line. Uh, Thomas Buchnevich and then Buchnevich again. And then on Sunday, yesterday, Letty scores and Shen gets the overtime winner. So it seems like the scoring is coming more throughout the lineup now than it was in the past. Well, I would say part of the problem in the past wasn't where the scoring was from, the fact that it wasn't coming, period, in general. Yeah. <laughs> you know, obviously, that's been an issue with the team all year. Um, and, and, and something that whenever you're scoring goals, it makes it a lot easier for your team to not only win hockey games, but be in an opportunity to win a hockey game, especially when you got a guy like Jordan Pennington, um, who I think gets too much, you know, crap around this town for what he doesn't do. I think that last year he was one of the, 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 the small bright spots on the team. Um, even though he had some, some stretches where he wasn't great, but it's not easy when your team in front of you isn't getting it done and your defense isn't playing up to the caliber that at least their contracts are, are, are showing that they should. So I think the difference between, you know, the inconsistencies and the way that the team is played, because let's be real, like the blues beat two of the best teams in November, uh, I think they beat at home. Uh, it was eight two on the road in Colorado, and then they came home and beat uh, Tampa Bay five nothing, and mm -hmm. then went to San Jose, the worst team in the league, and lost five to two. And it's like whoa, 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 right? So <laughs> the inconsistency issues that the St. Louis Blues have had most of the season is really 
uh, has really been their biggest challenge. And the biggest challenge with the inconsistency is that their best players weren't their best players game in, game out, being the leaders, making it happen. So for me, it's good to see it spread around. Um, you know, Brandon Sod's a guy that's a, a should and could be one of the Blues' best players. And I really think he's kind of struggled to find himself this year uh, for whatever reason. Uh, but it's been nice to see him putting some pucks in the net. Guy's making $4.5 million, $5 million, whatever it is. He's a guy that needs to produce or he needs to be part of something when it comes to the production of the team. Uh, I'm a huge Braden Shen fan, even when he's not scoring. The guy just does it all. Um, you know, he he has that extra level of work ethic. He'll fight, he'll hit, he'll do whatever it takes. Um, and he's the captain of the team. And, you know, to see him finally getting rewarded here over the last 10 or 12 games is something I think is good for the Blues. Um, I think the defense has played a lot better. I think they've been a lot more consistent. Um, and probably one of the biggest things, I think, just and I'll even go all year round, but even over the last four games that I watch is Colton Pranko is playing where he needs to be. And, you know, he still has – I'd still like to, to say that there's more room for him to grow and 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 get after it. But the difference between the way he played last year or even the last couple years and the way he is this year – is he's very, very committed to understanding that he's got a long reach, long stick. So he's being more aggressive. He's getting that stick out, stick on puck. And then probably what's even more valuable for this hockey club is he's jumping up into that play. He's being a fourth rusher in a lot of those plays. Or if he gets some ice time, he's a great skater for a big guy. So he can move the puck up if he gets some open ice and he can make some plays and he's got some skills. So I think those are all components that are going to have the Blues have to have some success. And then again, you know, I think they've got one of the top 10 goaltenders in the league, in my opinion, back there in Jordan Bennington. And I think that the one thing about the St. Louis Blues is not going to razzle and dazzle you like the Edmonton Oilers of Colorado or, you know, Washington Capitals or any of those teams that got that high prolific scoring talent. This is a team that's going to have to pull together. Um, they're going to have to work five on five. They're going to have to be committed to the game and to the, the concepts and the, the game plan that the coach is doing. And, you know, I know you're going to get into the coaching here, but that's one thing that I really feel that the new coach has been able to kind of, um, get these guys to do over the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. Well, I know talking with some friends over, I mean, or in just, even just seeing things on Facebook is people are complaining that, oh yeah, we won, but it didn't look pretty. It didn't, you know, we had, you know, the second period was really bad and the other team should have scored on us or whatever. And that's great. Like, yeah, that's disappointing. Like let's put 60 minutes together or, you know, 65 minutes if you're throwing overtime in there. But the fact that they're trying or they're finding ways to win games, I think is just good playoff hockey. It's like, you're not going to go out there and dominate every team. And the fact that we're able to put these games together and they're not a full 60 and we're finding ways to win is, is I think better than just going out there and dominating every team. And then somehow, you know, becoming lackadaisical because you think you're too good. I think, yeah. And I think that, you know, the blues are in a situation where they need to make sure that they're, um, competing shift in and shift out. And I think that's the reason why, uh, listen, anybody that says that kind of thing, uh, there's not very many hockey teams that dominate a game from the, the moment they drop a puck to the moment they don't. There's These are good hockey teams, right? The salary mm -hmm. cap and the salary basement is why there's so much parity in the National Hockey League. You're going to see a team with momentum shifts where another team's outplaying them. But if you're outplaying the other team two periods to one, chances are you're going to have a better chance of winning that hockey game. And the Blues just have to make sure that they make good decisions, get pucks in deep. Um, and then just stay committed to the systems that the coaching staff are doing. And they've been doing that. That's why they've had success. Because, 
listen, it's not easy to go on that West Coast trip, especially with how well Seattle and Vancouver are playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I actually bet on Vancouver the other night. Not when they played the Blues, but the other night they played the Blue Jackets. Yeah. And I'm like, easy win, right? Vancouver was down 4-1 to one going into the third period. <laughs> and I'm like, what the heck? You're the best team in the league against the worst team in the league, but that's kind of part of the – the parody now vancouver came back and scored three in the over or in the third period and won in overtime so i won my bet but yeah still like the the worst team in the league versus the best team in the league as far as points go right now and blue jackets are up four to one on them in the third period any given night man any given night so uh, a couple of things you talked about that i want to touch on as well uh bennington and and really hofer as well i mean i agree that bennington is nationally people I don't think go back to last year and watch the games that Bennington played and like you said how bad the defense was and how some of the miraculous saves that he's had to make all they look at is oh he had like an eight nine save percentage so he's like you know bottom tier goalie in the league uh and I think he's starting to show it's slowly getting he's getting more and more national attention as far as okay this guy actually is a legitimate NHL caliber goaltender uh, and then Hofer, I think, has come out and proven he's been a really solid 1B for to back up Bennington. Yeah, for sure. I think this Hofer kid's going to be good. And obviously, that's nice to know that you've got, you know, um, your backup goalie. That's a guy that can compete at the National Hockey League level. But listen, um, I don't, I'm not really concerned when a team's uh, goaltender is, a, you know, an 8-9 save percentage. And their best player is minus 33. And they probably had 17 outman rushes and how many breakaways and and how many of those goals were scored on the third rebound, right? Like, you know, I, there's so many other things that come into whether a goaltender is a success or a goaltender is not a success. So, you know, for me, it's a it's it's more of a team game. It's just unfortunate or fortunate. Um, and they're the ones that get paid big bucks, but you know they're the last line of defense. So uh, if something goes down, they're a little bit more exposed than somebody else because a forward can make a a mistake that a defenseman can stop, or a defenseman can make a mistake that a goalie can stop, and you don't get to see it as much. But whenever the goalie makes a mistake, it's glaring weakness. So I think it just needs to be all taken with a with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right, and then the other player you talked about was Shen. Uh, and I told you earlier that I have to uh, give out an apology to Braden Shen. So two weeks ago, we were talking about Shen and how he isn't playing uh, the greatest. He wasn't scoring very many points. Uh, and I came on the podcast and I I prefaced this with, now he's the captain, first year captain. I'm sure he's Got a whole bunch of leadership stuff that he's doing off the ice, plus all the things that he does he does on the ice that doesn't necessarily translate into points. But I went out there and I said, is Braden Shen the worst captain in Blues history? Is what I asked my my guest, who was actually one of one of my younger brothers. Uh, we kind of talked about it. And since I said that, I'm just going to say that Braden Shen's playing better because I brought that up. He must have listened to the podcast, obviously. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure he did. And I'm giving, I'm giving the worst captain to Eric Brewer before I give it to Braden Shen. <laughs> I can see that. I don't know if you remember the game, but I want to say it was like 2008, 9, 10. I forget. It must have been a couple years after he got here. I know that he got traded for Chris Pronger. 
and they were doing uh, an interview, um, kind of in the inter, like the, not the intermission, but like with the stoppages of play where they yeah. where they scrape the ice, and uh, like, all right, now give us a let's go Blues, and the guy yells out, let's trade Brewer, and I'm telling you, the entire crowd went absolutely bananas and like they had the jumbotron on him and he just kind of put his head down like that it was one of the funniest things i've ever thought i feel sorry for brew because he got traded in one of the worst possible trades a guy could ever get traded and you're literally getting traded for one of the best hockey players and defensemen of all time and then not only they bring you in and slap the captain on you when they could have given it to walter somebody else dallas drake or somebody uh, but they give it to brewer and i just don't think it was a fair i don't think he had a chance uh to to do anything right off the bat he was put behind the ball just because trying to fill chris Pronger's shoes right. in st louis isn't the easiest thing to do right yeah i could see that being so he, eric brewer could be the worst captain but he's got a lot of like you got to preface it well well he really didn't have the greatest situation and they were they were pretty bad back then right so, well, since I asked if Shen was the worst captain, he's uh, now on a five-point streak currently, uh, and he's actually got points in nine of his last ten. Uh, so, and a couple of them being overtime goals, overtime assists, uh, just, you know, showing up when it's needed right at the end to get us that that extra point. So right before that, he actually went 12 straight games without an, a point, without a goal or an assist. So... That's not what you want to see from one of your best players and your captain and a guy that's making seven million dollars a year, eight million, or however much he's making. Six and um, a half, I think. Six and a half, but he's a he's a guy that gets paid to produce points, not just be a great leader and a captain and a and a and a great you know teammate. Um, he gets paid to to put the puck in the net and and to make the players around him better. And he wasn't getting it done. Um, but at the end of the day, this guy's this guy's a solid solid human. Um, but he's also a solid player and. Again, it's tough when you're going through what the Blues have gone through and um, the uncertainty that comes in. And look at all the stuff that was happening in the summertime where they couldn't trade Krug or he wouldn't let them get traded. Or, you know, you talk, everyone's talking about all the no move clauses that Doug Armstrong gave and why didn't he give Petrangelo one and how come they brought Falk in and they would have had Petrangelo. They didn't get Falk. They still have uh, Edmondson. Like there's so many, there's so many storylines that come along with it. But end of the day, um, this shows you the resiliency of a guy like Braden Shen. He's just a guy that, you know, continues to find a way to make it happen. Um, you know, he's had his ups and downs this year, but it's really good to see at this time of the year, he's coming in and capitalizing on what he's supposed to do and make it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been, I mean, I think that Shen kind of point streak kind of shows the, the blues kind of, uh, ups and downs as, as yeah. the season go. So all right, let's kind of, you mentioned earlier, let's go ahead and go over the coaches. So Bannister is now through 20 games. Uh, we're currently sitting at 13-6-1 in those 20 games. Uh, again, these last four wins, four wins over very quality teams that you probably didn't expect to go 4-0 against. Uh, and actually 5-0 if you count the game before that, who I don't remember who we played before that. Uh Oh, Washington, the 3-0 shutout. So it started with that for the five games in a row. Uh, in that, in those 20 games, our Blues team has scored 60 goals. We've only given up 58. The power play percentage in those 20 games is, is 25%, which is significantly better than the like 8% we had before. 
Uh, and the PKs dropped a little bit as in just in those 20 games, we're rocking 77%. So how do you feel about this kind of little small 20 game segment under Bannister? Well, I think that, you know, you know, you want to talk about tough situations to get put in. This is a guy that doesn't have any NHL experience as a head coach. And not only does he not have that, but he's kind of coming into a team where there's a lot of question marks. Um, and then the, Third and probably most craziest thing for him to try and overcome was that he was replacing beloved Craig Berube, the guy that brought the Stanley Cup to St. Louis for the first time. Um, and everybody's looking at Doug Armstrong and the players not putting in the effort and all the media and everybody's doing all that kind of stuff. And they forget that there's a guy that's going to have to come in and, and try and muster his way through all the BS and find out, you know, what, like, this is my opportunity. I don't have time to talk about this stupid crap everyone's doing. I got to get in here. I got to get these players to listen. I got to get these guys pulling on the, on the cord in the same way and making sure that this is a hockey team that I can show that I deserve to get this job when the season's over. And, and, and going through all that adversity and all that stuff that, that I just mentioned, and then being able to, you know, sit here and talk about five game win streaks. I don't think anybody was worried about the blues having a five game win streak, you know, four months, three months ago. And uh, so I think it's good for him. I, you know, Craig Ruby did what he did and coaches are hired to be fired. You know, why, why were the players not playing up to their capabilities and why are they now? I, you know, I, the, there's, there's a lot of subjectivity in there that we could go over, but the fact of the matter is, is they are. Um, I think that they probably felt a little responsible for what happened to Brubes. And, uh, you know, listen, this, is, this isn't this is going to be long. Craig Ruby's not going to be sitting on the shelf very long. There is a plethora of teams that are going to go and pick Craig Ruby up. So he's going to land somewhere. These guys understand it. I was talking about it on Frank Cusimano's show the other day. You know, the one thing we understand as former professional hockey players is we're coming into this thing and we don't, allow our ties to get too tight, right? Like I might have to go play for another team the next day. I might have to leave my family. I might have to leave my best friends. There's so many things that we kind of go through over the years that kind of toughen that angle up. And there's an understanding of how that needs to be and how it's going to be handled. And so at the end of the day, it's easier to fire one coach than it is to try and reshuffle a roster, especially when you have as many no trade and no move clauses as the St. Louis Blues roster does today. And it was the, it was the, easiest decision to make and and you had to shake something up and you didn't want to trade a guy that you want for your future just to shake it up so um getting rid of craig was probably the 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 tougher decision that uh doug armstrong had to make but you know i don't i'm i'm was it the right one? Was it the wrong one? I think you have to look at it as it being the right one because you don't have a whole other a lot of options that were coming along with it. Um, I think that uh, again, like I was saying earlier, with all the circumstances coming in, uh, Drew's done a hell of a job and he's got this team clicking in the right direction. So good for him. Uh, we're all Blues fans here, and listen, I want to watch the Blues win. I don't want to bitch about how they suck. I want to watch them play good. I want to watch them bring the right players along, make the right signings, and. I want another Stanley Cup party here in St. Louis. So um, I think everybody has the right intentions in mind. And when you take a look at everything being considered, you got to look at it as a good call. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and like you said, we five games win streak is not something we would have expected oh, <laughs> early on ever. in the season. Again. <laughs> um, do you think, so I went over this like right when Bannister got hired, but of the players on the roster, Bannister has coached 10 of them in the AHL at some point. So do you think that helps ease, you know, his coming into this transition a little bit easier? Without question. 
you know, without question, there's some familiarity, there's some comfortableness um, with some of the players. You know, and listen, like those guys, those older players, you know, maybe Kyrou didn't, but they like Craig Berube. They were the <laughs> guy. You know, a lot of these guys won a Stanley Cup with Craig. And, uh, you know, so for, for the moment that that had to happen, um, you know, obviously I think that there's a little bit of like, oh, man, really, did this just happen? How did we let this happen? Um, but at the end of the day, Listen, Craig understands. Oh, by the way, Craig's still getting paid. You know, like you're right. <laughs> he's got like him and his dog are sitting on the corner. You know, like he's good to go. He's uh, he's making plenty of jack. He's probably over in Hawaii hanging out. At least that's where I'd be. Um, well, I so, saw a thing. He's like coaching a Philadelphia like alumni game or something. Yeah. Or did he, <laughs> I think, and then and then I think he was scouting for the Blues at a game not too long ago. So. Listen, those are the, there's an understanding that comes along with it. There's not there's not hatred for this kind of thing, and uh, I think sometimes as fans, um, it's hard to it's hard to be like, well, how are you not so pissed off and hate this person? Well, it's because we understand that this is the way the game is, and you never you don't make it to the level that we're at and what we've done if you don't have that mindset. Mm-hmm. Well, how many? Just kind of looking at your your player profile here on hockeydatabase.com. It looks like you had one, two. Well, that's uh, the Minot Americans and the Minot Top Guns. Is that uh, a different? Minot, yep. Minot, okay. So two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven different teams over four or five different leagues that you had to play in. So kind of like you said, you can't really – like you can make some really good friends as you're going through this, but finding somebody that you're going to be tight with for 10 years is unlikely. You know, I, I think it's actually, I think it is likely because I think we all come into this. I think it's why such a brotherhood is formed um, because we all know that we run the risk of getting traded, sent to the minors, sent to another team, sent to another league, um, cut outright released. You name the bad thing that can happen, have a severe career ending injury, Um, There's so many things that can happen and we spend so much time together, whether it's back when I was in Minot, North Dakota or playing in my hometown of Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan in the Western Hockey League, all the bus trips, all the hotels, all of those times, the the, the bus rides in the American Hockey League in the East Coast, the, 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 the charter flights and, and, and the things that we did when we were in the NHL. You know, you get to know these guys so well, they almost become your family. You know, there's times where I didn't spend the holidays with my family. I spent it with my teammates. Mm -hmm. And because we didn't have the opportunity to go anywhere or do anything because time just didn't permit it. Typically, it was 20, 48 hours off at Christmas time. And I got all summer off to go back and spend time with my family. So a lot of times we would just get together and spend Christmas together, just us guys, you know. So um, I think it's a it's an understanding. I still have so many amazing friendships with guys that I played with. Um, and the best part about it is there's no time elapse, right? Like if Adam Burrish, who uh, played with my last year in the American Hockey League, and he went on to an awesome NHL career, won the Stanley Cup, um, just a great all-around guy. You know, he's one of my closest friends that I hardly ever talk to RC, but if he was to walk through my living room door right now, we would sit down and and start talking and reminiscing and talking about the time, you know, what, what's been going on. And, you know, those friendships are just absolute fraternity lifetime friendships. And when you've battled your ass off so hard to be, you know, 0.001% of somebody that plays hockey that actually makes it to that level, 
you just have a different mindset and there's just a different way about everything that happens. And I think that the one thing that we, we know that they can't take away is that bond as a group and a team that we have. So um, it's actually something that's still, you know, to this day, I've so many of my junior friends that I, you know, we've rekindled friendships on Facebook and all the Instagrams and everything like that. And, you know, it gives us an opportunity and a platform um, to to enjoy it. One of my buddies, his he's an English teacher that I played junior with and against and grew up with. He's an English teacher over in Japan, and they have a hockey tournament every April that he comes over. He tries to get me to go to Bangkok every year for this <laughs> tournament. I'm not going this year, but 2025, I'm going to make it. But those are the types of relationships that that are cultivated in, in the game of hockey. And uh, I think it's why it's the greatest game in the world. And um, because we, you know, we, we are so dependent on the other guy on the ice that it, it, it becomes, a, it becomes a bond. Mm-hmm. I, I understand that you kind of, as you were talking about all those bus trips and everything, you kind of brought me back to my, my college soccer days and, yeah. and driving, you know, across multiple States to get to a, a soccer game, which you guys spend a lot more time together than I think, you know, my college guys. So not, not the, uh, perfect comparison but oh yeah for... it's still the same thing yeah try oh. spending 25 hours on a bus oh, God. one way that's just <laughs> that's just to get on the road trip that's moose jaw saskatchewan to seattle washington we spent 19 days on that bus together 26 oh, my people gosh imagine what that thing smelled like when we got off <laughs> that sounds awful like what do you do for that amount of time <laughs> oh dude before cell phones <laughs> no cell phones lots of card games lost lots of money yep <laughs> all right well we kind of went on a, a rant there but that's totally okay but uh what i wanted to get to was so like we i said we're 20 games in with banister and i kind of wanted to compare barube's first 20 games when he became the interim coach uh, and it actually weirdly worked out to where Barube's first 20 games, so his first game was uh, November 21st, and then his last game to end this 20-game segment is January 5th. On January 7th is when Bennington played his first game against Philadelphia. So it was right before Bennington got called up is where Barube's first 20 games kind of fits in. So in his first 20 games, the Blues were 9-10-1. They had only scored 54 goals and had given up 70. The power play was at a 14%, and the penalty kill was sitting around 78%. So the first 20 game for Barube was not nearly as good as, as Bannister's is right now. I remember when he first got hired, everybody was like, oh, my gosh, this guy, this is the worst decision ever. And then, like you said, right at that 20 games, you're going to have to look at in your next podcast what happened after 30 games because they went on an 11-game winning streak after right. that 20 games. So, obviously, Bennington and things started to formulate. And, and look, listen, five-game win streak, who knows what this team goes on and, and what they do. And, you know, are they going to make the playoffs? Are they not? Are they sellers? Are they? Oh, I definitely don't think they're buyers, but I think it's either they ride this thing out with what they have and, you know, see what happens in the, you know, trying to make it to the playoffs or they might, you know, decide to make some moves if it's right. All right. Well, you kind of tease the old uh, teach me how to Doug section. So I was going to ask you, do you think, you know, if you're Doug Armstrong, you get to kind of play the role here. Uh, let's say, I mean, let's say we're not going on and going, you know, Edmonton and winning 16 in a row. But if we're still at a pace where we're winning more games than we're losing, 
do you think this team turns in or you Doug says we're going to buy and we're going to fill a position of need? Uh, you think he's going to sell or do we just stand pat and say we're good with what we got? I think there's a better opportunity for this team. And I've always said this about Doug Armstrong, and, I, and I'll stand by this regardless of this, if, if it's the, uh, the, the, the summer months and the, uh, uh, the, the, the free agency and the signings and the, all the things that have to come along with that. But more importantly, a trade deadline, Doug Armstrong wants to make a good hockey move. If there's a trade that can help the organization, he's going to go ahead and do it. He did it last year with Tarasenko and with Ryan O'Reilly um, and then brought a couple of the other pieces in to try and fill those voids and, and evaluated the team. Um, you know, I think that the Blues are not in a complete rebuild, but they're definitely in a retool. If you look at, you know, what they have, uh, they had the most players of any NHL team in the World Junior Championship this year, 34 players. When you take a look at that 17 to 19 years old, typically most guys are 18 or 19 years old. When you take a look at that, there's not a lot of other um, teams that have that much depth when it comes to high-end potential talent that's going to come into the National Hockey League. So why is that important? Well, that's important because Doug Armstrong has some pieces to a puzzle that he can hopefully kind of get himself through when he is eventually and inevitably going to have to make some moves with this organization, with these franchises. You know, you hear the rumors of Bushnevich and, you know, uh, some of the other stuff uh, of, of guys getting moved and one rumor coming out of uh, Carolina that Bennington and and uh, and Bushy were on the way over there for a couple of their younger players, but yeah, the day, Doug Armstrong. I don't think I think he's more apt to sell some pieces. Some guys are going to be unrestricted free agent. If Doug's trading anybody with one, two, three years left on the on a contract, he's going to want to try and make a good hockey move to where he doesn't leave himself a big hole in the summertime. Um, but more importantly, he's a he's a general manager that's going to make the right move and make sure that it's a hockey move. Um, if it was me, I'd sell as much as I possibly could. Yeah. It's, I, time, I kind of, it's time to get this thing going. And it, you got a better chance of move, moving a guy like Tory Krug at the trade deadline when somebody's desperate for that type of defenseman because somebody went down and they need to fill that gap than you do in the summertime, in mm -hmm. my opinion. But I'm not a general manager of the National Hockey League. I'm just a fourth line next tough guy that people on <laughs> Facebook that asked me to come on podcast don't even know about me. Don't even know who you are. You're just some politician because your your profile picture's got American flag in the background. <laughs> Baby, no big deal. <laughs> Vote Reed Low. He's running Republican and Democrat. He's on both tickets. Yeah. Um I was gonna bring up so I kind of agree. I think you're. I think Doug's going seller. And one thing that brings me back is when he traded Kevin Shattenkirk, uh, because I believe when that trade happened, we were actually in a playoff position. But Doug looked at this roster and said, "This is not a, a contending roster." And he, it was kind of known that Shattenkirk was not going to return. And I think everyone even had him pinned to going. He's like, "I'm signing with New York because that's where he was. He was from." And so we traded him and got the got the assets that we needed to that. I could totally be making this up, but I think the pick that we got for him eventually turned into Braden Shen or turned into somebody else. So I think that came along. It's funny to follow all those trades too. It's crazy to, to do that, but I know that whatever pick that was, it was out there somewhere and it was something significant, which is, which is how it's supposed to be. These are the trades that are going to happen at this deadline. 
um, if they make them, you know, these are going to be guys that are down the line um, going to be draft picks or, or something else that managed to get that other person to, to that other player to, to the St. Louis blues. So um, it's interesting how it all goes down and how it works. And I, I think Doug will make the right decisions at the right time. I've always said, I, I've questioned Doug Armstrong's signings. Um, you know, there's been some signings that made me really scratch my head. Um, but I would say that J- Doug Armstrong is, without question, the best trading general manager I've ever seen ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I he's mean, just, he's pulled off stuff that made me scratch my head. Yeah, the, the, I mean, the Ryan O'Reilly one <laughs> too. So, <laughs> so I was actually looking at the Athletics trade board just to see like who was on it, uh, and they. Um, can you see my dogs playing yeah, in the background? In the back, yeah. <laughs> So hopefully they don't start barking. They're getting after it. (laughs) Hey, you guys are first liners. Quit acting like fourth. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Um, So the athletic trade board has 32 of like the most, I guess, the people with the best chance of getting traded. And there's only one blues player on their trade board. You think you can guess who their one player is? Most likely um, to get traded, not, you know, the crazy rumors like Biddington going to Carolina. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I'd i have to take a look at who's got, like, who's an unrestricted free agent next year or maybe has one year left. Yep. Um, but, you know, I, I would say if I had to pick one player off the team that would be up for trade, it'd probably be Falk or Krug. Okay. That's, I think, who a lot of people want to get out just because of their contracts and that I Scandella is my vote. Like I think Scandella, there's plenty of teams that need that depth, you know, third line defensemen that are trying to make that playoff run, but they had Verana as the only blues player on the trade board, which I'm kind of like, it's weird. Like he is even, isn't he in the minors or something? Yeah. He's in Springfield right now. So I was, I was really confused when yeah. I saw that one. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Right. Well, they're the experts that type. Yeah, things. that's right. They are. <laughs> All right. One last section for you, uh, and this is kind of another how unprepared I was for this, because if I would have had more research and knew that you were you know, a former enforcer in the NHL, I probably would have done all fourth line players for this, but I didn't. So we're going to do the whose line is it anyway. I'm going to give you a left winger, a center, and a right winger, and I'm going to see if you can name the team and then which line they're on. Okay. All right? So the first one, and half the time I mispronounce these names, so. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> the first one, left winger is Pontus Holmberg. Center is Max Domi, and the right winger is Nicholas Robertson. Ali, I, 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 I might be playing in last year's ball game, but for some reason I feel like I don't think Max is in Dallas. I want to say he's in Columbus. He's not Where in Columbus. He? Where is he? I have no idea. He's in Toronto. I don't know. I think and he was with Chicago. The third line. That is the third line. Yeah, he, he was in Chicago two, last year. I've never even heard of it. Jackoffs. No, I was like, well, Nicholas Robertson, I think, is related to um, the Robertson from Dallas. Okay. I think. So, all right, next one Marcus Johansson, Joel Erickson Eck, and Matt Boldy. I'm not up on my current players, man. Golly. <laughs> Erickson Eck, that sounds familiar. It's not New Jersey, is it? It is not New Jersey. It's Where a central division team. Central? Yeah. Uh, Nashville? 
It's not Nashville. Minnesota. It is Minnesota. There you go. Yep. And it's the second line. Second line, yep. Look at this. Look at this. Come on. Nailing the lines. Just All right. Teams. All right. One more to go. Adam Henrique, Leo Carlson, Ryan Strom. I want to say Vegas, but I'm going to go Rangers. It is neither of them. <laughs> Strom, where is he? Know that there name? is a Strom. There, I think there is a Strom for the Rangers. Okay. But it's a different one. All I think right, that's Dylan Strom. Uh, the Anaheim Ducks. Anaheim Ducks. And yeah. I'm going to say that's their first line. That is their first line. Look Leo Carlson was like the third overall two. pick. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you got, you got the line. But I can pick the lines out of anywhere. <laughs> That's impressive. The guy last week, I think, got all the teams right, but didn't get the lines. So we just got to put you two together, <laughs> and you guys would be perfect. <laughs> Love it, man. All right. Well, Reed. That's kind of all I have for you. Thank you for so much for coming on, uh, for being that undercover blues player that I didn't yep. know existed. Undercover cop over here, no big deal. All right. I'll give it a couple months, and I'll come back on, and you can do a little research. You haven't even watched any of my YouTube fights yet, so right. I'll come back on in a couple months when uh, uh, right around trade deadline, we'll have some more conversation. We can talk a little bit of alumni stuff, what it was like to play with McKinnis and Pronger, and uh, kind of go from there. At the Winter Classic stuff, did you were there for that, right? Yeah, I play. I actually played on the team with them back in the early 2000s. So, oh, were, okay. Yep. Awesome. So they were my teammates. Uh, playing with Al McKinnis was the craziest thing ever. So, um, but we'll save those stories for another day. And uh, appreciate you having me on. Awesome. Well, Reed, go ahead and just give me a big "Let's Go Blues" and we'll get out of here. Let's trade Brewer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, yeah, everybody. See you later. <laughs>